Hello and welcome. My name's Ben. I'm the CEO of Charlie HR, and this is the Culture Ops Podcast. We're the podcast that's trying to lift the lid on the challenging situations that affect your business and your culture on a daily basis. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Culture Ops Podcast. One of the mistakes leadership teams make constantly is thinking they know best. The best and most effective cultures are built on free-flowing information, the ability for anyone to input on a decision, and those closest to the challenge given the autonomy to solve for it. But how do you craft a culture where your team feel empowered and engaged enough to speak up, input in the right moments? And how do you ensure courage is felt by all and no one feels like their opinion doesn't matter? That's what we're going to be unpacking today. How do you craft a courageous culture? And to do that with me, I'd like to welcome Karen Hurt, CEO at Let's Grow Leaders and author of Courageous Cultures. Hey, Karen, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. You are you are super, super welcome. Um, so before we kind of dive in, uh, for listeners that don't know your work, Um, What do you spend your days doing? And maybe also, why are you so fascinated with this idea of courageous cultures? Yeah, so my husband, David Dye, and I run an international leadership development company, and we really are focused on very practical tools and techniques to help human-centered leaders get the results that they need and the impact that they want and the influence. So how we got so curious about this, it was interesting as we were working with leaders across a variety of industries and all over the world, we were noticing a consistent pattern. We would go into the very senior levels of organizations and we would hear things like, gosh, why don't more people speak up and share their ideas? Why am I the one that has to stumble on these best practices? What's wrong with my managers? Why can't they be more creative? And yet we would be working at the front line of these same, very same organizations. And we would hear things like, nobody really wants my ideas. Last time I spoke up, it didn't make a difference anyway. Why do I even bother? Somebody's going to steal the credit. And we thought, wow, (laughs) are you working for the same company? So we partnered with the University of North Colorado on an extensive research study to answer the question, what was preventing people from sharing ideas that would make a big impact on the business. Amazing. And it's worth saying, um, uh, there's a book, I really, I, I well recommend it. Um, I just finished it um, a couple of weeks ago. And we'll maybe talk a little bit about it at the end. And also how people can follow your work and your thinking and a lot of the content you create. But maybe let's summarize where we're trying to get to here. The aim of this discussion is, I guess, to unpack the, the the tools and activities that we can uh, do within our organizations to be more courageous. But what is your definition in your head? Like, what does a cur- courageous culture look like from your perspective? Yeah, so let's start with the definition of culture. And our favorite definition of culture comes from Seth Godin, which is simply, people like us do things like this. So in a courageous culture, People like us speak up. They're constantly coming to work saying, how can we do things better? There is a free flow of ideas and leaders are proactively going out and asking for those ideas and listening and responding with regard to what they hear. 
Nice. That's a great. That's one of my favorite definitions as well. I think it's uh, it's it's so simple. Um, but I think that's that's the kind of amazing thing about culture. On the surface, it feels like this incredibly simple thing, but actually, when you get un, when you when you get a bit deeper, you realize it's incredibly complex. Um, I think to craft it in a in a way that works for your business and 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 get that right. Um, what are some of the best examples that either you've personally experienced or witnessed in your career when you feel like organizations have have you know created this courageous culture? Yeah, so it's been really interesting uh, since we published Courageous Cultures. We've been doing a, an extensive amount of work in organizations, and one of the things that we have seen people do is take a couple of strategic initiatives where they really want a great idea. So that's the that's an important part, not just going out and saying, you know, hey, I have an open door or I'm open to ideas, bring me anything. But what we have found is when they can take our tools and say, okay, here are three areas of the business we really need a great idea. Maybe it's their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Maybe it's uh, helping people's mental health while they're working from home. Maybe it's a productivity in a process. Maybe it's how to um, position a new, uh, you know, a new product in their marketplace. You know, it can be a variety of things. And then from there, we take them through a process where they uh, think about these ideas using what we call own the ugly which is uh, U, what are we underestimating? G, what's got to go? L, where are we losing? And Y, where are we missing the yes? And then from there, come up with ideas, another acronym. Why is this idea interesting? Means strategically aligned with where they need an idea. Why is this idea doable? Meaning, could you pull it off? E, is it engaging? Where you talk about who, what stakeholders you might need to include. And A, what are a couple of actions, first next steps? And as they're going through that process, so we just did this with a company called K-Force, and they are definitely, they're a staffing organization. They're definitely working to build a courageous culture. They've, they started with strong executive development, then leadership development, laying that foundation of psychological safety, teaching people how to communicate. And then we had what we called an operational excellence rally, where we went through for some of their key strategic initiatives using that process. And uh, we, uh, we did it in what we call a fishbowl competition, which is like Shark Tank, only friendlier. And they <laughs> and teams competed around these ideas. And so we generated 20 great ideas. And then, of course, three won uh, because they were considered the best ones, uh, you know, by, by the sharks, the executives who were listening to these ideas. But it was interesting because the president took all the ideas, we recorded all of the ideas throughout this process, and he is now mapping them to their strategic plan and saying, how do we take these initiatives that have come, you know, from the groundswell up and enhance where we really, you know, need to head next in the coming year? And to me, that was just a, a great example of a half a day investment that was really taken seriously and now they've got ideas that are significantly going to improve the business. So that's kind of one example of taking a deliberate approach to do this well. And, you know, you talk about psychological safety, which I think is, um, you know, again, it's one of those simple and hard things. Uh, right. like incredibly important if you want to if you want to build an effective culture for, for many reasons and, and none more so important than one where people feel like they can speak up. Um, I have a question, which is that, you know, I guess you're in a position now where you're supporting organisations to, uh, to to do this, to implement this. Um, 
to take their cultures in that direction. Before you started this work, in your career, had you experienced what good looks like? Or has this this sort of um, the, this passion for helping organizations move their cultures in this direction, has it come from seeing a problem rather than seeing what the benefits are? So it's interesting that you say that. So I spent 20 years at Verizon and over the course of that career, and it, some of it was in HR, a lot of it, I led a large sales team, I led a 2,200% sales team, 10,000 person customer service organization. As we were dealing, as I was in those roles, both as a follower, because you're always a follower at some level, and also as a leader, I have examples of both extremes. I certainly, I, I worked in, in some organizations during that time where I had a toxic courage crusher boss. And as we describe in the book, you know, where there were some tactics of really destructive leadership that I saw shut people down, absolutely saw shut people down. And I worked for some incredible bosses who uh, I had uh, one boss, her name was Gail Parsons. And she said, she had this saying, where there is chaos, seize control. And I just mm. love that, which was, look, Everybody can be wringing their hands about this problem. Just go figure it out and do something and I will have your back. And I think that was the most courageous boss that I had in, in that respect because I, we did some incredibly innovative things during a merger and there was a lot of chaos and we just did stuff. And she's like, by the time we get it done, we're not going to ask for permission. By the time we get it done, you know, they'll still be working out their plans. And uh, we won awards for the work that we did in that during that time. So I think I think you know it's interesting that in the same culture, macro culture, you can have all that going on. And so I really worked as a leader to try to build a courageous what we call cultural oasis. And you know that is you know who can you influence? And in chapter six of the book, I do a case study with my sales team that really takes all of these concepts. Now, of course, I didn't know these concepts at that point. I was just trying stuff, right? But, you know, I backward mapped our process to it and, and the principles all were there. Um, and that was a six, very, very successful turnaround um, during a very difficult time. And I, I do feel we had a, an environment of psychological safety and courage and uh, innovation. And so I think, you know, that's what I would encourage anyone if you're listening and say, yeah, this won't work in my company. It can, you know, you just work, don't, you don't need to go out and announce, hey, we're going to totally transform our culture. Just start and mm. start, you know, building trust and asking people for their ideas. Yeah. And what you're saying is it probably is existing in some pockets, in some capacities, you know, the cultures are often, um, people have different experiences of them. And so, you know, what, what you're doing with your work is, is, is creating a framework that people can pick up and use and try and ensure that the experience of the team is, is more, is more uniform rather than, you know, some good, some bad. Um, so it, there probably are pockets where it's happening in someone's organization. It's about, okay, how can you take that and build it? Yeah. I think one of the things that I always try and do on this podcast and, and as part of just generally like our work in culture is, is linking it back to performance because I think we've been through a period of time, um, not as much the last couple of years, but sort of the five years, 10 years preceding that, where if we were to talk about culture, um, 
we we didn't really have the tools to talk about how it impacted our businesses and and uh, you know there was too much mention of ping pong tables or interesting offices or christmas drinks and and all of that kind of stuff which is great in some capacity but it's not your culture um and so one of the questions i always like to ask is is how does it link to business performance and so in you from your experience in helping these organizations impact cultures to make them more courageous, how have you seen it impact the performance of the business? Yeah, I, I, we have multiple examples of that where you're seeing an impact on retention, you're seeing an impact on innovation, which is leading to you know better execution and pro- improvements in productivity. I'm thinking of this one uh, client that we've been working with for, for the last couple of years, and it's been really interesting. They are um, very fast. They were fast growing, and we got in with them at the very beginning. Uh, this at the ground level, uh, the company is called Clinical Mind. They do uh, pharmaceutical communication and PR, and they were small. And when we started working with them, they were really deliberate about what are our values and. You know, spending time thinking about not just what our values are, but how does that play out in terms of behavior? And they really worked at that hard so that it wasn't just like painted on the wall stuff. Like, well, what happens if this value is in clash with that value? What are the decisions? So all of that conversation, which they spent a lot of deliberate time on, I believe really laid the foundation for psychological safety. And because they had that, as they grew, as they did an acquisition, as they did another acquisition, the foundation of psychological safety was there and people really knew, she was very, very clear that they really wanted people's ideas. And when she got people's ideas, she responded well to those, even if she couldn't use them. And I think it's that consistent behavior over time. And you know, business results, they are, they are growing, they're making an impact, they're, they're building a hugely po- a positive reputation in their, um, in their industry, they're known as an industry leader. And I, I really believe it's because of their culture and how, mm-hmm. and how deliberate uh, they, they started from the very beginning. Yeah, and I think getting it right from day one is, is, is absolutely the way to go. And, and I guess I'm sure you and I are on the same page that we wish more organizations were thinking about their culture from, from the day one and, and getting in on the ground ground level. Um, I'm interested to get a quick sense check on over the last two, three years, have when, when you're pitching to an organization or saying, hey, we're going to come and do some work, have the types of questions that leadership teams ask you change, i.e., you know, do you feel like there is a shift in in the working world where actually maybe people aren't saying, okay, but how is this going to make me money? Because they understand a bit more so now the effect that a really impactful culture can have on your performance. Yeah. You know what I think has really happened this in the last two years with the pandemic? I think that more senior leaders are understanding the impact of bad leadership at the middle level on the front line. And you know, I think they thought, well, that's a lot to invest in folks and it's not that hard and they should be able to supervise and they should be able to get it organically because the most common phone call I get, and I'm getting them six or seven times a week, hi, um, we have grown super fast. We've never <laughs> had any leadership training before and we really need it. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you need? And it's foundational. 
you know, how do you give recognition? How do you have a difficult conversation? How do you manage performance? How do you run an effective meeting? They're not looking for fancy, really foundational stuff. And I think people are realizing now more than ever that leadership matters. And it's it's not, you know, even before the great resignation stuff was happening, I think it was during the pan, you know, the heart of the pandemic where people are realizing that you know, their leaders were not connecting at a human level. And they were not checking in on the psychological safety or the or the mental health of their folks. Uh, and that you can't do anything from a performance perspective if you, people don't think their boss cares about them. And so I think that's the shift. I think people are seeing the value of showing up human at work. And the other mm-hmm. thing I, I am seeing is a trend towards more, deeper authenticity and transparency, where it's now leaders are, are, it's okay to say, I haven't figured this all out. And I, but I believe in this team. I know we're capable of doing this and let's figure this out together. And, or, you know what? It's been challenging for me too. Like I'm super sick of working at home too. You know, it's not just you. I know that you're, you know, I'm worried about my family and having a little more transparency than is making it more okay for that employees to say, oh, thank goodness, because I'm not feeling very good either. And now we're, now we're showing up as two humans beings coming to work and that, I think, is a shift that needed to happen for a long time. And I'm, I'm glad. I mean, that, I think that is a positive side effect of all of the stuff we've been through this year, the last few years. Yeah, I think you're so right. And, um, you know, if we were playing podcast bingo, like, I would definitely be, I'd be ringing the bell because that's something that's, you know, listeners to the show, you know, know that that's a theme that's come up. Uh, you know, over the last 18 months, again and again, speaking to people in leadership positions, speaking to people in, in positions where they're thinking about culture and people, which is that, you know, during the pandemic, we weren't able to say I'm fine because everyone knew you weren't because no one was really, no one was fine. We were all struggling in some capacity. And so, yeah, the age of authentic cultures, authentic leadership is is well upon us um, and about time too, um, as you said. So when someone comes to me and says, uh, I want to think about how I craft my culture, I always ask them, you know, what is the type of culture you're trying to craft? That's the first thing. And and I think a courageous one would be, it would be, would be a, would be a, a great North star for someone. But when it gets into the action of actually doing the work, I try and get people to think about it in three buckets. So your people, your processes, and your policies. I think those are your big levers that you can use to adjust the way that we do things here, our culture. Um, and I think people is probably the biggest one. And most people would agree with that. You know, the, the people you bring into an organization in many ways set the tone. And so thinking about how culture impacts your hiring process, I think is important. Do you think that courageous cultures attract a certain type of person? And conversely, do you think there's a certain type of person that actually is a little bit scared of courageous cultures? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think that if you have a truly courageous culture and you are talking about that from your the, when you start to interview people and in your new hire orientation and, you know, in a courageous culture, the expectation is that you are going to speak up and share ideas. And so if you are a just tell me what to doer and you're just, you know, like, just tell me what to do. 
I don't think you're going to be happy in a courageous culture. And I'm not sure that you're going to be valued in a courageous culture. And so that it, it does attract a certain type. And I think that's what gives courageous cultures the competitive advantage. Because if you have a, you know, there, I mean, maybe you, there's people, you know, there's certain tasks that you just need people just doing, but wouldn't you want everyone to be thinking about how they could do it better or more effectively and save time, save money, create a better customer experience. And, you know, in a courageous culture, you want people who are thinking that way. Now, the thing is, you know, I, I don't believe most folks just want to do, do Right. I, I, I think that some there's things that are holding them back. They've had a bad experience in the past. They spoke up before and they got in trouble. So before I would write somebody off and say, well, they aren't innovative or they don't want to speak up, I would get underneath that and figure out what's going on. How are you running your meetings? Are you running them in a way that really gives people time to think about their ideas before you put them on the spot? You know, there, I mean, there are definitely ways to draw people out people's ideas. Are you really being really specific about, hey, what's just one idea that could help you improve your productivity? That's a very easy question to answer as opposed to, I, I'd love to have any ideas about how you could improve your productivity. Wow, gosh, where do I start? And I have no idea. That's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's always a two-way street. And um, I think your point about people showing up to work or showing up to a role with existing experiences is something I think we forget. We, we, we sort of think that someone is joining us and because our experience of them is completely brand new, that, that they're almost a clean, a clean, a clean slate, but they, they aren't right. They show up with, with all these experiences and other ways of doing things. And I, and, and I think that's why being really explicit, as you sort of talked about there as a leader is so important, you know, this is the feedback I want. This is how you engage. This is, this is where the, the boundaries are. This is what good looks like. This is what, you know, not so good looks like. I, I don't think all of that stuff is red. You know, it's not always that obvious. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting in the qualitative part of the research that we did. A lot of times we would say, well, why aren't you speaking up? And they say, well, because I, I had a really bad experience. Like I got shamed in front of the whole team for my idea or something like that. Well, I'd say, well, how long ago was that? Uh, well, it was 10 years ago. Was it at this company? Uh, no. You know, so people are holding on to bad experiences. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we hold probably on more to the bad experiences than, good, than the good ones. But that's, that's a whole other discussion for us another time. <laughs> um, you talked about retention and, you know, I think I, there have been books written on the, you know, the performance the performance improvement that you get from just keeping the best people in the room, right? The time and money that we all spend rehiring um, and, you know, seeing knowledge and information like leave leave the room, leave the office when someone leaves, like losing people is, is amazingly expensive. And so retention um, is always a, a great way to add fuel to the fire. What is it about courageous cultures that keeps people in the room? People feel seen. That's the first thing. They feel like their ideas matter. Um, they feel like they are they are they are part of something bigger than they're just their job. And I, I really believe that that is. We had one client who was interesting. So they went through our leadership program, and they said before the leadership program, they were finding that um, you know the number one reason people were leaving was their immediate supervisor. 
And after the work that we did with them, none were saying that that's why they were leaving. Now, of course, some are still leaving for, you know, different opportunities, big, you know, uh, more money, other things. But at least they took that, they could control the thing that they could control, right? And that, you know, not only is that a retention uh, benefit, but it's also people are going to be, if they're happier and more engaged, they're going to be contributing at a, at a deeper level. Yeah, so true. Um, I love that 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 point about just being seen, I think. It is amazing how much we forget our own experiences and what we like and how like and how we like to be treated when we step into a leadership position. And you know, like I feel like the simplest rule of thumb is like treat people as you would like to be treated. It's like the oldest in the book, but it's so part of it. We all like to feel like we're part of the conversation, part of an organization that we're valued and that we're important and that people see us, right? Yeah, we like to say, be the leader you want your boss to be. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I will steal that, but I will credit <laughs> you for sure. Um, do you do you think, I mean, I'm sure you get pushback because I'm sure you're in organizations and you're sitting in a room full of, full of leaders or managers and you're presenting your stuff and, you know, uh, you know, just in any group of leaders, you know, there will always be a little bit of dysfunction and... There might be someone in the room that's like, this is a waste of time or I don't know why I'm here, right? You know, and I'm, I'm sure by the end they are they are converted and, and won over. But you, what are the things that you think stop organizations from fully leaning into being more courageous? Well, I think one of the things is people think they've got leadership handled. This just happened to us the other day. We were doing a, a virtual program and this woman said she came in late. And we had put people into virtual breakout rooms. So we explained to her, okay, so this is what's happening now. Your people are in virtual breakout rooms. They're talking about planning their listening tour so they can go out and get feedback that they're going to bring bring back to put build into their development plan. She said, I don't need to, I don't have time to have esoteric questions that are going to add nothing, no value to the business. I have deals to close. And I'm like, what? And she's like, if you're not. If you're um, if your leadership, if you get to a senior level and you still need to work on your leadership, you have a problem. Yeah. So that I mean, it's if people, you know, and I saw that I have seen that in in variety of organizations where, you know, oh, come train my people, but I'm I'm good. You know, mm-hmm. and and I I got nothing left to learn. Uh, one of my when we very first started. Um, Let's Grow Leaders, one of my very first clients. Uh, I went in to train the, I went in to train the frontline supervisors. And within the first half an hour, they said, this all sounds great, but it, but it won't work here because the CEO has a real problem. He doesn't do any of these things that you're saying. And so it won't, how can you train us to do it if he's not doing them? And I said, all right, if you will promise me to pay attention in this training, I'll go talk to him after this class. And I went in and he, at first he got furious. How would, did you let people have a conversation about me in your class? I don't want people talking negatively about me. He stormed out of his office and I just sat there and he came back and he said, all right, I'm listening. <laughs> and he said, can I take the class too? And, you know, and so that we had massive transformation, but he had to get there himself. 
to be open because you that culture wasn't going to work if he was modeling toxic behaviors and then teaching his people how to be human-centered leaders. It feels hypocritical. So he had to really change his behavior. So it's just, yeah, it's amazing. Um, getting that that sort of transformational change out of someone um, is just such such an amazing experience and, and so great that you're able to have that impact. I kind of often feel in those scenarios, if if everyone in the world would just sort of get together on the point that humans are, we're all fallible, we all get things wrong, we are not perfect. If we would all just agree on that for a second, I think there would just be a lot less sort of unuseful ego in, in the yes. room and floating around, right? Like it's, it's we're all going to make mistakes. That's, that's part of it. You can't be perfect. Yep. Um, I always like to sort of spend the last five minutes thinking about uh, tactically how organisations um, uh, can deploy this. And I think what's uh, amazing about the work that you do at Let's Grow Leaders is that it's it feels like it spans the full segment, or that at least that's the assumption I'm making. It feels like you work with organisations when they're starting out and they're small, and you also work with bigger organisations. And um, I feel like that just gives you great perspective. So what are the tactics that you think organisations should be deploying um, if they want to craft a more courageous culture? Like, yeah. what's the playbook? Yeah, well, I would first start to make sure that you are not allowing what we call toxic courage crushers. If you're not, are you allowing shame, shaming behavior, bullying behavior, anything that's creating fear and intimidation? If that is happening, you're not going to be able to build a courageous culture. No, no matter what else you do. So I would start there. And, you know, we have had, you know, clients who've had to terminate some of their leaders because they're like, they're, they're, counteracting the work that we're doing here. And because we're saying this, but we're, if we allow that to happen, you know, these negative behaviors. So I would start there. Even if you have a really, really high performing sales manager, for example, but they are creating a, 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 you know, a bunch of toxic negativity, that it, it's worth take, ripping off that Band-Aid and you know, being really clear that you're having these values. So that's the first thing. So I'm gonna assume you don't have that. So people don't have that. Then the next thing I would say is get clear about two things. One, be really clear that you do want people's ideas and be really clear about what a great idea would accomplish. So, you know, this is, you know, this is this is where we need great ideas right now. This is where we're headed in the new year. We need ideas about how to take this strategy to the next level. We need ideas about how to penetrate this marketplace. We need ideas how to make be more productive in this arena. Whatever your what we call MIT's most important things are, be clear about that. And then from there, go out and cultivate curiosity. And you can do that by asking courageous questions. Uh, courageous questions are simple and vulnerable. They're specific. So for example, uh, one of our favorite examples of a courageous question comes from Don Yeager, who runs a contact center company called Mural. And he asks, so he's a COO. And for the last 10 years, I've known Don for 10 years, he has been asking this question. What is one policy we have that just sucks? Now it is, it's, right, it's specific. He's just asking for one. It's vulnerable because he's the COO. He makes the policies, right? Um, or you could say, you know, what's one obstacle that's impacting your productivity? 
Uh, I'm assuming there's something that's getting in the way. What's one, uh, one thing that could make our meetings more effective? Right, these are easy questions to answer. Um, and then, you know, I mentioned the idea method before, but, you know, that's another thing is help people to uh, position their ideas. If you have an idea, come tell me why it's interesting, doable, engaging, and what are the first, A, couple of key next steps, actions. And so that really helps if you have people who are like idea grenadiers who are just like lobbing ideas at you for you to do something with. And so you say, great. I love that you're thinking about all these ideas. Thank you so much for caring so deeply about the business and our team. We can't possibly do all these things. So run your ideas through this model and bring me your top three. Yeah. And mm. you're teaching people how to think critically. And then finally responding with regard. One of the, uh, in our research, 50% of the respondents said the reason they're not sharing ideas to improve the customer experience, the employee experience or productivity in a process is because nothing will ever happen. And as we dug underneath that, a lot of times things were happening, but the loop wasn't closed. And so that's why, you know, when somebody brings you an idea, even if it's an idea you can't use, responding with gratitude, thanking them for their idea, information, telling them how you're going to use the idea or why you can't use the idea or what are some next steps about that idea, and then an invitation to contribute more. And, you know, if you can really respond to all input, whether it's from an employee survey, whether it's in a one-on-one -on -one, with gratitude, information, and an invitation, that you will encourage people to continue bringing you more ideas. I feel like we just need to package that soundbite because there was some <laughs> absolute gold in there. And I'm just going to try and summarize for our listeners what are the ones that stood out for me because I, I, I just think repetition is important. I don't want people to miss that absolute gold dust. So making sure that there is you don't have an organization where there's fear present and and you're thinking about who the leaders have got on our team and and are we creating psychological safety maybe thinking about communication styles or opportunity for 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 good and vulnerable feedback being clear that you really want ideas and what those ideas would accomplish i love that I hadn't thought about that coming up with courageous questions you gave a great example of one teaching people I think also that hadn't even occurred to me, which is that one of the reasons I might not share an idea is I'm not sure how to share an idea and how I should, you know, should I write it? You know, how should I structure that email? How should I structure what I send to you? And then as always action, right? Which is, I think it's just always a theme when it comes to any leadership practice, which is that if you want someone to do something again, you have to show them that it was useful and important and you have to respond with action. Indeed. Wow. Make sure you've written those down, listeners, because there's some great stuff in there. Um, Karen, if people are thinking, I need more of that, uh, obviously they should they should buy the book. They should head to Amazon. Uh, it's actually currently sold out in hardback in the UK. I just wanted to let you know that. Oh, is it really? But you can get it on Kindle. Um, but if they want to find out more about your work and what you do, where should they head? Where should they look you up? Yeah, so letsgrowleaders.com. You can learn all about us. can subscribe to our blog. We have lots and lots of content. And i uh, love to connect on LinkedIn. And so it's Karen with an I, K-A-R-I-N, Hurt. And I run a uh, Asking for a Friend show on Fridays on LinkedIn. So there's a lot of ways to connect there. Amazing. Um, yeah, definitely uh, head to Karen's LinkedIn. Um, head to their website. There's loads of amazing resources on there and uh, a few other books as well to, to get your teeth into. Um, 
Taryn, thanks so much for joining us today. I really, really, really appreciate your time. Oh, I really appreciate it too. Thank you so much for the great conversation. Cheers, Karen. And as ever, I need to thank Mel, our producer behind the virtual glass, keeping the show on the road. To all of you listening along, wherever you are, we really, really appreciate you. Um, and if you've enjoyed this episode and are feeling generous and, like, and you want to give some time back to us, please do head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps other people find the show. We look forward to seeing you again soon. I've been Ben Branson-Gailey, your host, and this has been the Culture Ops Podcast. Mm-hmm.